Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. We're going to continue our study in Ephesians, and we're calling this Get in Control. If you're a public school kid, raise your hand. All right, this is for all the public school kids right here. There's no E, it's getting, getting control. Because my parents would say sometimes at the house, like, you ain't getting nothing. And we're like, well, are we getting anything? No, you still, that's what we're talking about today, getting control. And here's how, uh, listen, I've said this before. For me, on my day off, when I just want to get away and I want to relax and I just want to forget about everything, I love to golf. I just love to golf. Now, I also say this, I've said this before, and it's the truth. Uh, you will rarely meet a person who enjoys golf as much as I do and is as bad as I am. And some of you folks are like, oh, he's just trying to be self-deprecating. No, it's just true. Now, there's a couple reasons that I'm really bad at golf. And the first reason is I'm not very good. So they, they go together. <laughs> but the second reason is this. I notoriously make horrific decisions. And I'm going to give you an example. So we play the same course pretty regular. And... Uh, Every time we get there on the second hole, now, if you, don't, if you don't know golf, it doesn't matter. You don't have to really know golf. But typically, new hole, you step up to the tee box, and what do you do? You pull out your driver. It's the biggest club in your bag, and it hits the ball the longest. That's your driver. And so when we get to the second hole, you know what I do? I grab my driver. Now, just so you know this, on the second cor- hole of the course we play, nobody should be hitting a driver. All it does is get you in more trouble. Because, because the club hits it longer, if you go right... It goes further right, and you're just more into the woods and more into the trees. And if you pull that thing and it goes to the left, you're more into the trees, you're more into the bushes, you're just more into trouble. So when we get to the second hole, I step up to the second hole, and there's always this little voice in my head that goes, put the driver away. Just hit your three wood. Just hit your three wood. Uh Uh-uh. No, I'm hitting driver. And I step into the tee box with my driver like this. I'm a man. I paid for that club, and I'm hitting that club. I'm swinging the fences, man. No guts, no glory. Now, here's the thing. The little voice went off in my head, and I think, don't hit a driver. Just pull out a three-wood. And not only did the voice in my head, a lot of other guys step into the tee box, and they say, think you ought to hit a driver? I'm hitting a three-wood. You think maybe you hit a three-wood? Uh-uh. I'm a man, and I paid for this club. And I feel good about myself. Do you know what I'm saying? I feel good. I'm excited. I'm amped up. Watch me. And I feel great until about halfway through my backswing, and then there's contact, and now I feel terrible. Because the next thing you know, it's like, beer, beer, that thing's going everywhere. And I'm way to the right, or I'm way to the left. And the whole time I'm walking with my ball, the whole time I'm looking for my ball, I'm in the woods, I'm in the tree. I'm a dude who has an axe in my, in my bag. I'm in the trees, right? And the whole time I'm there, as soon as I hit it, I have regret. Like, I feel regret. I feel miserable. I feel stupid. I knew better than to hit a driver, right? And then I'm finding my ball, and I'm upset the whole time. And now I don't score very well on that hole, and I'm really frustrated, and I'm upset. And not only that hole, because it makes that hole worse, but it's only the second hole. Which means this, you have a really terrible hole, and it can ruin your whole round. Which means this, I made a bad decision, I'm full of regret right then, I'm bummed right then, and down the road, this affects me. Now, here's the deal. This ain't just golf. This ain't just golf. Like, the funny thing is, it's kind of life. It's kind of my life. There are times where I just know better, and I heard the Holy Spirit speaking to me, and I have even people around me who love me, who care about me, and they're saying, Neil, maybe, do you know what I'm saying? 
And I go ahead anyway, because I got to hit a driver. Like, I don't listen to that voice. And now I'm full of regret. And it makes things very difficult for me in my life. And not only in that situation, but down the road, there are things that I still, I experience today because of a poor decision. Now, here's the deal. If that's me, then sometimes what I think is maybe there's a person or two in the room who has done that. You should have put the driver away. You knew not to hit the driver. And now you're full of regret and you've made bad decisions, right? We have trouble in our relationships because of that. Because we didn't listen, right? The Holy Spirit was speaking to you and we refused to listen because we got to hit a driver. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. You have difficult relationships. Some of you have health issues. You have health issues because you didn't listen because you got to eat that or you don't eat what's right. Some of you are experiencing financial consequences and you have financial hardship because you didn't listen, because you didn't listen. And the question that you're asking at the end of the day is this, how do I get control of myself? Like, how do I get control of myself? I heard that voice. Why did I hit the driver? Why didn't I put the driver away? Why didn't I just hit a three-wood? Now, here's what's really interesting about that. I feel that way at times. I'm assuming maybe some of you feel that way some of the times. Watch what the Apostle Paul himself says to the church in Rome. He says, I don't really understand myself. I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. He goes on about three verses later and he says, I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do anyway. Like, how do I listen to that voice? Because the question we're asking is this. How do I get control of myself? Right. We're in Ephesians chapter 5. Flip your Bibles open. We're going to look at it today. We're going to take a very clear look. How do I get control of myself? When you get it, uh, I'd ask you to stand to your feet if you would. And if you're new around here, just so you know, I always explain this. We don't up, down, up, down the whole day. But when we read our primary text, we stand. And here's the reason why. It's not right. It's not wrong if people don't. For us, as a body of Christ here at Cedar Valley, what we say is, this always reminds us that it's not just somebody who wrote a book. This is God speaking to us. Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to start in verse 15. He says this, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Verse 16, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing hymns, psalms, hymns, and I'm sorry, singing uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, uh, I, I'm so grateful for the worship that we've already had this morning and, and the fact that we get to be in the very presence of the great creator. We're in your presence now. It's humbling. We bow our heads because we recognize who you are. And now we're, God, that we're praying that you would teach us further, teach us from your holy word, give us wisdom. God, wisdom that applies to real life, but wisdom that gives us even, even a greater desire to worship you, that draws us closer to you. Speak, Lord. Speak clearly to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. And so here's what I know this morning, and this is what I'm going to try to do. First, I'm going to try to set this all up. Then I'm just telling you this. I'm just going to mess it all up. And then I'm going to try to clear it up, clean it up. 
Got it? I'm going to set it up. I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to try to clear it up, clean it up. So I want to go back to the beginning of this part of the conversation that Paul's having. And this is what I love. And if you don't, if you don't catch this, man, you, you, we got to just get this. The, the Bible speaks to our lives in 2021. Like we're looking for answers to life. Boom, here it is. This is why the, the scriptures are so important to us. I want to start back at the beginning of this conversation. Paul is writing a letter, and he's written this letter that circulated to different communities that he's pastored or, or knows well of. The last place it stopped was Ephesus. That's why I think what we call it at the, uh, Ephesians, right? And Paul's been talking to them, and now he's in this discussion, and he gets into it here in chapter 5, and we're picking it up. I'm going to pick, take you all the way back to verse 1. Look in your Bibles. Look at verse 1. Paul says this. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Now, first of all, notice the word therefore. Anytime you're reading your Bible, therefore, therefore means you've got to look back, look back. What was the context of the conversation? Okay, here's the conversation that's been going on previously in verse 4. Paul's been talking about how we treat each other, how we respond to each other, how we act with each other. And so basically he says, therefore, and then he's going to say, imitate God. Imitate God in everything you do because you're his dear children. Now, kids almost always imitate their parents. About three weeks ago, my father lives in Des Moines. Good morning, Pop, if you're watching. And, and a lot of times we go down, we, we drive down four hours, we spend four hours, we drive home four hours. My brother's moved there now. We were all together. We're having a conversation. And I said something, and my sister-in-law stopped me. And she goes, stop. I said, what? Well, she goes, do that again. I said, she goes, no, do it with your hand. I said something like this. She goes, Stop. Your brother does that all the time. You guys do that exactly like your dad. Don't you guys do that stuff? Because kids imitate their, their parents very often. They very often do. Paul is saying, you're his dear children. Imitate him. Now, here's what I get out of this. When I, when I read this, I'm like, really? Imitate God? Me. Good luck with that. Right? Like, like that's a high standard. Sometimes do we just think, hey, here's the standard. Just don't act like the crazies in the culture right now. If I just act a little bit better than them, I'm doing well. Oh, maybe, maybe it's more than that. Maybe I just act better than just a few church folk. That ain't the standard. He's saying here, imitate God. Now watch what Peter says. Because Peter writing, his letter says this. You've got to be holy in everything you do just as God who chose you is holy. And then he quotes from the book of Leviticus where God is speaking. And he says, the scriptures say, you must be Holy, God says, because I'm holy. If we're going to imitate God, that's a different standard. Like, we've got to be holy. We've got to aspire to holiness without blemish, without sin. And I think in my head, great concept. How do I do that? Paul's not done. Paul, back to Ephesians, says this. Oh, not just imitate God. Live a life filled with love. Like, what do you mean, a life filled with love? He's going to tell us. Follow the example of Christ. Jesus loved us and offered himself to us as a sacrifice, which was a pleasing aroma to God. I feel like right off the bat, I'm about over two. Imitate God. Follow the example of Jesus. This is what we're called to, followers of Jesus. This is what we're called to. And I'm like, that's tough. Like, how do I do that? How do I live my life in a way that imitates God? How do I live my life in a way that follows the example of Christ? How do I make decisions that line up so that I imitate God or so that I follow the example of Christ? How am I doing this? Right? Then he goes on. Look at verse 3 in your Bibles. Let there be no sexual immorality, 
or impurity or greed among you. Such, as, such sins have no place among God's people. Now here's the deal. This word in the Greek, sexual immorality, is the word porneia. And it's this broad circle that covers all kinds of sexual behavior. He's included everything, everybody. You say, well, but what if I do that? Nope, it's in there. Well, what if I kind of just do, it's in there. It's porneia. It's where we get our word pornography. But the Greek word porneia is a huge sphere of sexual improprieties. And he's saying you can actually have a little bit of that in your life. No, he's saying there can be none of it. No sexual immorality. I mean, not even an impurity, not even a hint, not even a whiff, not even a smell of it. And then he, do you notice this is interesting, or greed. Now that's interesting to me that he pairs sexual immorality, impurity with greed. Greed is a desire for more. It's you wanting what ain't yours. It doesn't belong to you. And he's saying this, no sexual immorality, no purity. Don't, don't desire that. Don't want that. Don't, don't, don't keep tr- looking for more. And then he says, such sins have no place. Like, there's no ambiguity here. Zero, zilch, zip, nada, nitschke, net, none of it. Are we all clear? And I'm just like, man, how do I make those kinds of decisions? How do, how do I get control of myself? How do I live in this manner? Not done yet. Look at verse 4 in your Bibles. Look, not only can you not behave that way, right, but he's seen stories, no foolish talk. He's talking in a sexual context here, no coarse jokes. These are not for you, right? Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can't act that way. You can't behave that way. You can't talk that way. Imitate God. Follow the example of Christ. No sexual immorality. No impurity. Don't read after those things. Now he's telling me, you, you can't even talk. And I'm, I'm just, I'm being honest, like, this is a standard. Like, how do I make the kind of decisions that will, that will be congruent with this? Then go all the way to verse 11. Look in your Bibles. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. And then he says this. It's shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. So here we are. Ready? Imitate God. Follow the example of Christ. No sexual immorality. No impurity. Don't greed after those things. Don't talk in that manner. In fact, don't even talk about the things that other people are doing in secret. Fantastic. How how do I do that? Is this me checking boxes? Is this me trying harder? Is this me just grunting it out? Because again, the overall question that we were asking is, how do I get control of myself? How do, I, how do I not make those decisions? How am I, I'm hearing this voice, even other followers of Jesus might speak in my life, but I still want to hit the driver. How do I put the driver away? How do I do the wise thing? How do I hit the three wood? That, that, that's what we're really getting at. Okay, now Paul's going to give you the answer. So if you want to know how to get control of yourself so that you make better decisions, so that you do imitate God, so that you do follow the example of Christ, so that there is no sexual immorality or impurity in life, so that there's no inappropriate talk, so that you don't even talk about the things that other people do, Paul's going to actually give us the answer. That's why I say the Bible is just full of wisdom and full of life if we just look at it. Now watch this because we've got to discern this a little and decipher it. Here's what he says. Go to verse 18. Go all the way to verse 18. Got it? Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Okay, now first of all, 
you, you need to understand the, the uh, contextual, the, the, the context of this, right? Paul is writing, getting ready for this. Have you ever been to the store, uh, you'll see a liquor store and it says wine and spirits. Wine and spirits. And we go, that's weird. Why does it say wine and spirits? In the ancient world, there was actually belief that you got liquored up and you were drunk out of your mind, right? That the spirits would speak to you and give you wisdom and would tell you things to say and things to do. They actually had a god. This was the goddess Dionysus. And they would get liquored up, they'd get drunk, and then they'd pray to the goddess Dionysus and believe that Dionysus was going to give them wisdom. Okay, so that's part of what he was saying. Look, it's not through getting hammered that you, that you get wisdom and you get life. and you, It's not that. Okay, but he's also saying this, look, don't be drunk, don't be good. Now, just in fairness, Paul says drunk with wine. If you're getting liquored up on beer, if you're drinking hard alcohol, it's not okay. Are we all just clear about that? You go, I wasn't getting drunk on wine. You were drunk. You understand what I'm saying? Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. So he's clearly saying that. But then he uses this word, instead. Now, understand this. This is another one of those words like but. Don't be drunk with wine. Instead means this. You understand what I'm saying? This is instead. Instead is the opposite direction. Anytime you see that word instead, you're like, oh, not this, this. And here's the this to the not this. This is instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, now let's talk about this for just a second. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's what this is not. He's not saying get the Holy Spirit. Who's he talking to in this letter? He's talking to followers of Jesus. He's writing it to churches. He's talking to believers in Jesus. Paul has been crystal clear about this, and we've talked about this several times. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, circle that one in your Bible. If you have accepted Christ, if you've committed your life to Christ, if you've surrendered your life to Christ, listen to me, you now have the Holy Spirit, period. You have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Paul is not saying here, get the Holy Spirit. He's saying be filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit sometimes would give you the idea that, well, maybe I'm only a quarter filled. Well, maybe I'm only a half filled. No, you are full of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Pentecostal church, which we are, we definitely believe there's a second experience with the Holy Spirit. That's not what this is talking about, right? Because we'll look in context. He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not this idea that, well, maybe I only got part of the Holy Spirit. No, you get the Holy Spirit. He's putting these two in contrast. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You have all of the Holy Spirit. Followers of Jesus, listen to me. You follow Jesus. You commit your life to Jesus. You, you make that commitment. You have all of the Holy Spirit. This is not a question about how much of the Holy Spirit you have. This is a question about how much of you does the Holy Spirit have. Big difference. Big difference. And so I want you to understand a little bit about this word, be filled, before we go anymore. It's a Greek word. It's preloo. Preloo. And it means this. Listen. Well, it means to be filled to the full. It means to be filled up, filled to the full. But here's what you got to get. And this is what makes this word really an interesting word. Number one, it is present tense. Be filled is a present tense word, which means this. If I say it right now, it means be filled right now. It also means an hour from now, be filled up, be completely filled up with the Holy Spirit. But it also means this, six months from now. In the old King James, remember, for those of you who grew up in the King James, it says, be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. And we always say this. It's like they were saying, be ye continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Be continually being filled. It's present tense. Secondly, though, this word is an imperative, which means this. It's a command. So it goes like this. Hey, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a command. That's what it means. It's a command. Here's where it gets really wonky, and this is where it gets really interesting to me. It is also a passive verb, which means this. It is a command that you cannot do. Did you get that? It's, it's, it's an imperative. It's a command, but it's passive, meaning you can't just do this. You can't just, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't work that way. And this is where this gets really interesting. Now, again, look at our verse. He says, don't be drunk with wine because I will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's where, we, here's where we get the context. Here's where we get the understanding. And the understanding is this. Think about someone who's drunk. Someone who's drunk, who's under the influence, right? They say things they wouldn't normally say. And they do things they wouldn't normally do. And the reason is because they are currently under the influence or they are under the control of the alcohol. And he's saying, don't be under the influence. Don't be controlled by alcohol. Instead, be under the influence. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying here. We should all, like, people get DUIs. All Christians should just have an LUI. We are living under the influence. We are living under the control. We are under the control constantly of the Holy Spirit. The word to be filled with means to be controlled by. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is where this gets a little tricky, and this is where I said I'm going to mess this up a little bit. Okay, if it's passive, and yet it was a command, how am I controlled by the Holy Spirit? Well, it's all context. Look in your Bible. Look in your Bible. Let me show you a couple of verses. Look at verse 10 in your Bible. You got it? Mark verse 10. It says this. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Now, just stop and think for a minute. If you meet a stranger on the street, how would you know what pleases them? And the answer is, you couldn't possibly know. Because you don't know them. Because you don't have a relationship with them. Because you don't ever talk to them. That's verse 10. Now go to your Bibles and look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. Don't act thoughtlessly. Instead, understand what the Lord wants you to do. Again, I would just take you to a stranger. You walk up to a stranger on the street. What do they want you to do? You couldn't possibly know. Because you don't know them. Because you don't have a relationship with them. How do you know what pleases someone? How do you know what someone wants you to do? And the answer is because you have a relationship with them. When we're talking about being controlled by the Spirit, here's the key word that you just got to write this down. This is the word. It's intimacy. It's intimacy. If you want to be controlled by the Spirit, there has to be an intimacy with God. Now, question, how would you build a relationship? How do you build intimacy with God? You guys, this is not rocket science. You build a relationship and you build intimacy with God because you are in his word. Because you read the word regularly like you would with a regular relationship. Because you study the word. Because you meditate on the word. Because you spend time in the presence of God. Not here just on Sunday mornings. Because you spend time daily. You have your own relationship with God. Not something that the church does for you. 
You want to build intimacy with God. It's time. It's time with. It's time in his word. Now let me just ask. This is in no way condemning. This is, this is in no way condemning. This is meant to encourage you. This is meant to, to, to move you along. Are we spending time? Like, have you spent time in his word? Like, have you spent time just studying and reading and then meditating on it and praying? Because that's how you build intimacy with God. And when you build intimacy with God, guess what? You hear the Holy Spirit. You hear the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the deal. And this is where this all just gets really weird because the verb is passive. See, we don't take control of our lives. That, that's not true. We don't take control as Christians. See, we ask this question, how do I get control of myself? And so I'm going to give you the big so what. And, and, and we'll flesh this out just a little bit. But the big so what is this, that you get control by giving control. It's such an oxymoron. It's so backwards. It's so un-American. Because in the American culture, we're about grab the bull by the horns. Take control of your life. you got to get control. Right. As followers of Jesus, we get control. If you want to have control of yourself, if you want to make better decisions, if you want to have less regret, if you want to do more fruitful things, if you don't want to have to keep looking back going, man, why did I hit a driver? I know every time I get to that tee box, I should not hit a driver. If you're doing that in your life, then what you have to do is you have to give control. Because here's the thing. I hear that stupid voice in my head every time. And now what I have to do is I have to surrender to it. Like at some point in your life, you have to surrender to it. Maybe there are followers of Christ who are around you and they speak into your life. They can scream into your life. But at some point, you got to surrender to it. we got to give control. We gotta give control. Now, now, now just, just, just go here with me for just one second. Stop and think. Stop and imagine right now, right now where you're at, right now, think about this. How would my life be different if I would actually give in control, if I would surrender to what the Holy Spirit has said in my life? How would my relationships be different? See, how would my marriage be different? How would my relationship with my kids be different? My relationship with my folks, how would it be different? How would my health be different if I would listen and then give control, right? How would my financial situation be different? How would, my, how would things for me at work and in my business, how would they be different if when I hear the Holy Spirit, I would then give him control? Okay, now, if that were true in your life, if that were true in your family, this is where I get real selfish about this stuff. How would that look in our church? And what would the power level of this church be? if we were just flat out loaded with people following Jesus who just gave control to the Holy Spirit. They weren't trying to get control. They, they just, what if, what if we all just surrendered fully and said, Spirit, whatever you say, I will put the driver away. Like, have you ever just had that where you're like, I know I'm not supposed to say anything. 
and then you say it anyway. Welcome to my world. Like, what if, what if there were those times where, where, when the Holy Spirit was talking to you and say, hey, you got to say something, Bob. You, gotta, you need to speak up. You got to say something. And we just do this like, and then we don't. What if we spoke into the situations that he told us to, right? Where would your health be? Where would your health be? He was like, brother, put the donut down. <laughs> Praise God, somebody. Like, how, how would your health be? Where would your finances be? How would the ministry of this church just flat out move forward and the kingdom of God would advance just like we've never seen or experienced before? How good would that be? Well, here's where it starts, right? It starts with you and it starts with me. We're not trying to get control. What if we just gave it? We just surrendered it. Because that's how we get control of our lives. It's such an oxymoron. So here's the big now. And I I apologize. I try to give you stuff more practical. But this morning, what we're going to work on is just giving up control. And I usually try to give you, like, do this. But this is what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to give you a minute. Go ahead and just bow your heads. And here's what I want you to do with your head bowed. You say what you need to say to God to give up control. Like, what's that area of your life where you just keep hearing his voice speak? And you got to listen. you got to surrender. you got to submit to it. Maybe it literally is just your health, and it's gluttony, and you flat out know you're out of control in the kitchen. Maybe it's a financial thing. Your finances are out of control because you don't listen, because you do whatever you feel like doing. You don't consider God in your finances. Maybe it's a pornography issue. You hear the Holy Spirit. you got no question what's right, but you got to give control. you got to submit to it. Maybe it's a relational issue. You just, you, just, you just let the Holy Spirit deal with you right now. You, you, let, you talk to God, you let him talk to you. And so now, Father, as we leave this place, as we leave this building, Lord God, would you empower us to go be the church to a lost and hurting world that desperately needs a Savior. We pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Have a great Sunday, everybody. Thank you.